Hi folks, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast, and the project is to transform lives through the study of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Why not make the decision to join this community of people as together we work through the entire Bible? If you're here for the first time, it's really easy to make sure you don't miss another single episode. Just click on the subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcast from. And please do hang around at the end if you are here for the first time or new to this. And I'll tell you lots of ways that you can connect to this ministry and receive other free teaching resources. But with that said, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, continuing our journey together through season three, the Gospel of Matthew, where we're at the midpoint of chapter 14, looking at this famous passage called The Feeding of the 5,000. So with that said, we'll drop into the main text and I'll see you at the back end. Bye-bye for now. Okay, friends, today we're going to look at a very, very famous passage of scripture, often called the Feeding of the 5,000, covering the scriptures from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21, where these events of the feeding of this multitude of people are used to demonstrate both the compassion and the miraculous power of Christ. So we're going to do, as we always do, I'm going to start off by reading you the actual scriptures themselves, and then we'll come back and we'll just do an exposition and look, work our way through them and look at what they're saying and what they might be telling us. So picking up the text in verse 13, it says this, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go to the village and buy themselves food. And Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You gave them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down in the grass. And then he took five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides the women and children. You know, Galilee at the time of Jesus must have been a place where it was very difficult to find some time to be alone. You see, it was a small country, a small region, only 50 miles from north to south and 25 miles east to west at its widest point. And the Roman historian Josephus tells us that at this time, within that small area, there were 204 towns and villages none of whom had a population of less than 15,000 people. 
which meant in many ways it had a similar population as that entire region has today. It was such a thickly populated area, it was not easy to get away from the people for any length of time, but it was known to be quieter on the other side, the far side of the lake. Now at the widest point, this lake was eight miles wide, and Jesus and his friends, they were of course fishermen, his disciples were fisher folk, so they decided that they would embark on one of the boats and that they would seek a place of quietness and rest on the east side of the lake. And this is what Jesus was seen to be doing, following on from having heard of the death of John. Not surprisingly, really, that he might want to go off and be himself for a period of quiet and contemplation at these dramatic events, traumatic events that had just transpired. I think there there are several simple reasons and natural reasons why Jesus would want to seek to be alone at this point. In his humanity, he may just have needed rest. He was someone who never recklessly ran towards danger and of course opposition was beginning to arise and he was now beginning to try and withdraw himself from that opposition lest he too I suppose should share the fate of John too early in his ministry. And most of all with the awareness of the cross figuring nearer and nearer Jesus knew that he must meet with God before he met with men. So he went seeking rest for his body and strength for his soul in the lonely places. But as I said, in that highly populated region, it would not have been easy to find a place of peace. People, of course, would immediately see a boat set sail and they could very soon work out where it was going. And that is what indeed happened here. The crowds, we are told, they flock around the top edge of the lake and they're waiting for him on the other side when he arrives. So Jesus gets to this point, is greeted by the multitude, and of course, he does what he always does. He ministers to them, he heals them. And by the time evening come, the people are getting hungry, and how will he feed them before they take the long road home again? This is where this feeding of the 5,000 miracles is described. And few of Jesus' miracles are so revealing of him and his ministry and his purpose as this one. This miracle tells us several things. Firstly, it of course demonstrates for us the compassion of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, it tells us he was moved with compassion to the depths of his heart. This is a very beautiful thing. Jesus had come to find peace and quiet and loneliness, and instead he found a vast crowd eagerly demanding what he and they believed only he could give to them. Now he might easily, in human terms, have resented them for that. What right had they to force themselves on him again, to invade his privacy when he had tried to withdraw and to make continual demands? Was he to have no rest and quiet and no time to himself at all? But Jesus was not like that. So far from finding them a nuisance, he was moved with compassion for them. As in these days of old, so as today, The Christian message to non-Christians, to the non-Christian world, has always been the eternal message that God cares. And if that's so, we too, like Christ, must never be seen to be too busy for people. We must never seem to find them a trouble and a nuisance. Those inquirers were lost and might never return again. 
We must never deal with people with one eye on the clock as if we're anxious to be rid of them as soon as we can. My father, during the 1940s, 50s, right up to the end of the 1970s, he travelled and spent a lot of time in India. And there is a kind somewhere I heard him or someone else talking about the very first metropolitan bishop of India and how he refused to meet someone called Pandit Iswar Chandira who had an important leadership position in the region of Bengal. Pandit Chandra was seen by many as a spokesman of the Hindu community in the Calcutta area, as it was called at that time, and to establish friendly relationships with the bishop and with the Christian church establishing that area. He and another chap called Vidsagar who was founder of of a Hindu college in Calcutta and was a well-known social reformer, author and educationist, attempted to meet with the then bishop who wouldn't give them the time to meet. They travelled, in fact, to meet with him, but they returned disappointed. They weren't even granted an interview. And in response to that, they formed a strong party and rallied round them a group of educated, wealthy citizens of Calcutta whose position was to actively oppose the church and the bishop and to guard against what they saw as the spread of Christianity. Someone later observed that the bishop had turned a potential friend into a foe. What an opportunity for Christ was lost at that time because someone would not even let their privacy and their busyness of their everyday life as they saw it invaded unless a meeting was arranged in advance through official channels. In spite of the fact that these men had travelled a great time on speck of seeing them, he did not meet with them. Jesus never found a person a nuisance in that way, even when his whole being was crying out for rest and quiet, as it must surely have been here, he carried on. And I suppose that tells us, as followers, that must be our inspiration and our motivation should be to do the same. Also in this story, we see Jesus witnessing that all gifts are from God. He took food and he said a blessing. Now the Jewish grace before the meals at that time was very simple. They simply said, Blessed art thou, Jehovah our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. Many believe that that would have been the grace which Jesus would have said here. For that was the grace which every Jewish family used and every group of Jewish people would say before a meal. But in it we see Jesus simply showing that it is God's gifts which bring to men and women everything that we have. The level of grace or gratitude is rare enough in a relationship towards other men and it is rarer still that people will show it towards God even for the simplest things in life. I believe this passage also gives us an insight into the place of a disciple in the work of Christ. It creates a model by which we can follow and measure ourselves. The miracle informs us very clearly of the place of disciples in the work of Christ, in participating in the ministry and work of Christ. The story tells us that Jesus gave to the disciples and the disciples then gave it to the crowd. Jesus, you see, worked through his followers. He did it on that day and I would suggest he still does it that way today. 
Again and again, we always come face to face with the truth, both in the New Testament, but also in the heart of any true active living Christian community, is that the disciples are called to do the work of the Lord. In fact, that the disciple, the Christian disciple, is helpless without his Lord and without his ministry of doing his will. Which the other side of that coin would suggest that maybe God, in some respects, is helpless in bringing about his plan into the people that you know if you're not willing to be his disciple and work to fulfill his will in their lives. If Jesus wanted something done then and today, he needs his disciples to be willing to do it. If he wants a child taught or a person helped, he needs a man or woman to do it. He needs people through whom he can not only speak, but through whom he can act. Jesus needs disciples through whom he can work and through whom his love and his truth can enter into the lives of others. He needs men and women to whom he can give gifts in order that they can share them with others. Without such people, he cannot get things done and it is our task to be such people of God for him, people that he can use. Now, it could be easy to be daunted and discouraged by the magnitude of some of the tasks we might face. But look at this story. Because this is another way in which this story may encourage us. When Jesus told the disciples to feed the crowd, all they had was five loaves and two fishes. And yet with that and what they had brought before him, Jesus was able to bless it and bring the required task to fruition and Jesus would do this by a miracle. Jesus in a sense sets every one of us tremendous tasks, tasks of communicating himself to other people but he does not demand from us abilities that we do not possess or gifts that we do not have or that he can utilize. He simply says to us, come to me as you are. However ill-equipped you might feel, bring to me what you have. However small it is, I will be able to take it and use it greatly in my service. You know, even the smallest of things, the littlest of giftings, is always and will always be enough to fulfill God's will in the service of Christ. At the end of this miracle, there's a strange little touch, and I think one that provides a teachable moment in the modern times of environmental waste and mismanagement. Did you notice the fragments are all gathered up? Even when a miracle could feed these people generously, there was still no waste. There's something really, I think, to take note of here. God gives to people all they need, and he gives it in abundance, but wasteful extravagance is never right. God's generous giving and our wise use of these things and what he has given of stewardship, they must always go hand in hand. So what about this miracle? How and in what way was it performed? What was the making of this miracle? There are some Christians who read the miracles of Jesus and feel no need to explain them. They are able to simply accept them by faith at face value and remain undisturbed in the simplicity and purity of that faith which is indeed a wonderful thing. But there are other believers who read such things and their minds question and they feel they must understand what has actually gone on. And I would say that God understands that type of person. And in truth, in many ways, he steps forward to meet the questioning mind. 
But in whatever way we approach the miracles of Jesus, one thing is certain. We must never be satisfied to regard them as something which just happened in history. We must always regard them as something which is happening and can happen today and every day. These are not isolated events in history. They are demonstrations of the eternal, operative and available power of Jesus Christ, the power of Holy Spirit. Now there are two ways, maybe more, but two ways that I that I feel that you can choose to look at this particular miracle. And both of them are miraculous in their own ways. Firstly, you can just choose to look at it as a simple multiplication of loaves and fishes. Something that's happened once on that day to meet the need of those people on that day. But a miracle nonetheless, but never repeated exactly in the same way. In and of itself, it was an event born out of the need of the crowd on that day. If people view it that way, then we should be content to leave it at that for them. We should not be critical or condemnatory of anyone who believes that and believes that that's all it means. We shouldn't feel compelled to try to make people see it another way. But however, there are many people who, as well as that, they see this miracle as a sacrament. They have felt that those who were present received only the smallest morsel of food, and yet with that they were strengthened for their day and the journey home from it, and they were then satisfied, content. They feel that this is more than just a meal through which people fulfilled their physical appetite, but it was a meal whereby they ate the spiritual food of Christ, so to speak. If that is the view you reach, then this is the true the first time the miracle is performed, but it also is true every time it's reenacted when we sit together at the Lord's table. At the communion service, Christian believes there comes to us the spiritual food of God, the body and the blood of Christ, which sends the faithful out, enabled to walk the path that God has laid before them, forgiven, strengthened, with firmer feet, so to speak, to walk the path and greater power to take the journey of life wherever God might want to lead it. And of course, I believe both these perspectives are not mutually exclusive. However, one thing is sure, when Christ is amongst us, the weary do find rest and the searching, hungry soul is always fed. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I hope you find that helpful. There are many ways in which one could approach this passage, and I will be approaching it again because it is recorded in two other gospel accounts and there's also a feeding of a group of 4,000 people as well. So there'll be many opportunities each time to I look at this to look at it from a slightly different perspective. But we'll do that when we arrive at those passages. Now, as I said at the beginning, 
You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcasts from. You just click on the subscribe button. But the Bible Project podcast itself is hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com. And there you'll find the, the complete back catalogue of every single podcast that we have done so far. But you'll also find links there to ways in which you can connect to other aspects of the ministry, the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, where the long-term archive is going to be put in playlist format based on theme and book. And there's also, you'll find additional free resources, always free, always freely available, like a transcript of each and every podcast, and also links to places like Patreon and my LinkedIn page, where I tend to put more formal, structured, discipleship-like training courses. There's a series of 12 messages there on how to preach expository sermons at the moment. Please go and check those out if you want. But also you'll find there a link through to the Bible Project on Buzzsprout, the host website. And on that website, there is an opportunity if you want to support this work, to help me to continue to make what I believe is biblically helpful content for listeners everywhere, all around the world. My vision is that this project becomes entirely self-financing through the micro donations of a small percentage of people who feel they're benefiting from having the rhythm of the study of the Bible part of their daily lives. It would only take about 2% of listeners to make a small monthly donation for this podcast to be totally financially self-sufficient. Which means this work would remain there, would bring the, the Bible and the gospel within the orbit of more and more people for longer and longer. So if you'd like to support this ministry in that way, then please have a look at the podcast website on its homepage on Buzzsprout and consider supporting us for as little as $3 a month. I really don't want to go down the route of taking advertising revenue as a way to meet the increasing costs of providing this ministry. But if that's something you don't feel God's called you to do, then that's absolutely fine. Just continue to enjoy spending time with us every day by working through the entire Bible, God willing, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So with that said, it's bye for today, and I'll see you back here, I trust, very soon on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.